with the first question. Uh, first question is this, how do I determine if a dating relationship is God's will or I should move on? It's a good question. How do I determine if a dating relationship is God's will or I should move on? Um, first off, let me just say this to all the men. I think every man in here, if you love God, um, you should go hunting. Um, not hunting, not deer hunting. I think you should go hunting for a wife. Um, not a date, but for a wife. I think every, every man in here, when they feel like they're ready, should, should pursue women. Come on, any women in here? Well, you need some guys to... <laughs> I, no, I'm not going to say that. <clears throat> yeah, we, I think men need to be on the pursuit. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for, for men to do that. Um, buy a nice shirt, spray some cologne, and, and get after it. Um, I think, I, I honestly, I think most, I think there's way too many men that are passive in this area. I, I think... Um, when it comes to dating, there's a lot of women that are sitting around waiting for a guy to, to make a move. And I, I think it's important for us to, to do that as men. Now, you, you need to have a great relationship with God first, of course. Um, and, but you don't need to just be dating around. You need to be looking for a wife. The Bible says it is, it's not good for a man to be alone. And so that's, I think that's fine. But I also know that there's other there's seasons of singleness and actually... That some people, God says that they can be single their whole life, and that's perfectly fine as well. This question, though, in regards to that is about, is the relationship God's will, or should, should I move on? I'm more of a courtship type of guy, by the way. I don't, I'm not big into dating, uh, just for dating purposes. I'm more of the courting for marriage purposes. Um, and so I think, I, I think a man needs to grow in maturity and responsibility. He needs to be mature. He needs to be responsible. Um, and that's one of the big things, and he needs to love God to know if it's God's will or not. You got something on this? Yes. Um, a few things should be like, not every time, because I think we can sometimes be deceived in things, but like uh, most of the time, deep down, like you know if it's right or not. Like if there are red flags and you're feeling uneasy about it, or but you could be just trying to justify because somebody's interested in you because... Um, they're showing you attention because you've gotten emotionally attached. But deep down, if there are things, red flags, like just don't deny, like don't push those things aside. And also, if um, most people in your life are telling you like this isn't a good relationship and telling you, most times they're true and they're seeing what you can't because you're blinded by the, the situation. So nine times out of ten, like deep down, we really do know if we should be in this relationship or not. But also just like tips for single, um, all the single ladies, no, um, you uh, ask a thousand questions, like don't, we're good at it anyway, you know, so we're good at talking and, um, and doing that to check their motives. Um, do they have a job? If they don't have a job, that would be like number one, like, sorry, you, you will not be able to take can't afford care me. of me, um, you know, all those things. Um, uh, I, mean, ask a I think in dating, I think that's a problem. Most, most dating relationships, they go either straight into physicalness and they miss out on the friendship side or they just don't, the women don't ask enough questions because they're lonely, so they'll just take anything that moves. And unfortunately, <laughs> let me preface that. Hold on now. Jeez. You've never seen, you know how many friends that are like that? Any guy that pays them attention at all, they'll go with a jerk. 
And, and, and so ask questions. Do you have a job? Do you have money? How much money is in your bank account? Do you, <clears throat> do you live with your mom? Do you live with your dad? Do you, do, do you have visions of where this is going? Where are we doing? Why are you dating me? Are we going to get married? Are we not getting married? Do you want kids? How many kids do you want? I mean, I think you should ask a ton Over of questions. Time. <laughs> not like at one no. time, because then you probably won't get Date called number back. number one. Ask all of those. <laughs> ask all of them. How do you act when you're mad? Uh, how do you, how, you know... Uh, for guys, you should ask questions to the girl, you know? Is that your hair? Did you buy that hair? Is that really you? Did you, are those, come on. Is that, was that hair put on credit? Do you have credit? Do you have bad credit? How much debt do you have? How much, okay, are, I think some of these need to be at, I, listen, maybe not date one, because you might not get a date two, yeah. but I think these are questions you need to start asking down, because I'm going to tell you, people get married to people they don't know, and they get into it, and they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize all of this stuff that was, that, that you had all this baggage that you brought into this relationship, and you were keeping it as baggage, and I never saw it, and then you busted it out when we got married, and so you need to be, you need to ask a thousand questions. Yeah, because no one is perfect, and no one's going to be that perfect mate, but like, anything in dating gets magnified in marriage. And so like those good. little character flaws are going to be good. like a giant character flaws because you're putting on your best behavior when you're dating. Everybody, everybody does that. So it's like those things um, grow. I mean, and if he on. can't lead you, if he can't lead himself, he will not be able to lead you. So Whoa. those are just like right. big things. Tweet that. <laughs> if he can't lead himself, he can't lead you. That's so true. So true. And if he doesn't come to our Savior's church, get him out of your life. Um, amen. That's just what I'm saying. I mean, we produce some strong, godly men here. Now you need to go pursue guys, okay? So um, I, there, there is, and, and I'll say this to women um, and, and to men, though, is don't settle. Don't settle. There's a lot of marriages that I'm counseling now that are women that are frustrated with their husbands because they settled for that man when they probably should have waited. They probably should have waited. Or they probably should have asked more questions. And they, and they, and they, set, they settled. And in Scripture, you see that with Ruth. Ruth did not settle. God brought her, her man. His name was Boaz. Come on, had to be God, man, to give him Boaz. And so Boaz was her man, and God brought her a husband. And, and she waited and waited and waited. And sometimes you're like, man, how long am I going to have to wait? You would rather wait for the right one that loves God than to settle for one that doesn't, and then you got all these issues on the other side of marriage. You with me? And so you need to, you need to wait for your Boaz. Actually, I, I, I'm going to help you out here. I'll give you a little tips here. Let me, let, me, let me put this up. Ruth patiently waited for her Boaz. And while you're waiting on your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke ass, Poaz, lion ass, cheating ass, dumb ass, drunk ass, cheap ass, lazy ass, and especially his third cousin beating your ass. Wait on your Boaz and make sure he respects your ass. I told him he was the one that was going to read that, not me. So. I've been having this since week one. I've been waiting for this. I've been so ready for this one. I know you're taking a picture of it. That's all right. Take a picture of it. All right. So you can take it off now. Um, 
So listen to me. I'm going to tell you, this is, this is so true, though. <clears throat> a six-pack ab is sexy, but a job is sexier. Okay? He, he better love Jesus, and he better have character, because one thing I have in marriage, I, don't have, I rarely have wives come into my office complaining about their man's look. It's always about his character. Rarely. Is, I, I mean, sometimes, but rarely. Is it about looks? It's always about character. And I'm going to tell you, ladies, listen to me very closely. Beware of any guys that you constantly have to make excuses for. Oh, he's not coming to church. Oh, you know, he's just been tired lately. He should, he should be telling you, let's go to church. He should be grabbing your hand and say, baby, let's pray. He should be pushing you to love Jesus more. If you're having to push and pull him, drop him like a bad habit. I'm, I'm telling you right now, you might not like this, but I'm telling you right now, if he's not pursuing you in purity and in love and patience, as Lindsay said, it will magnify more in marriage worse than ever. If you think, oh, well, he'll, we'll get married and then he'll love Jesus. No, he won't. Because once you get married, I'm telling you, he definitely won't. And there's a lot of women in here that probably could amen on this one. And husbands, probably. And so that's, that's where we're at on, on dating. Let's, let's go to question number two. Is there someone really out there for everyone, or are some people meant to be all alone? Um, let, me, let me give you a couple things here. First off, it seems like this person is probably lonely or alone, um, and I'm sorry about that. I, I do believe that there's someone out there for you. I don't believe there's one person out there for you. I don't believe that because, I mean, let's be honest. If you married the wrong person, and then now you married that person that I should have married, and now you just screwed it up for everybody, and y'all had kids, and they shouldn't have had kids. To, come on, how many know there's not one person that's out there? Um, I, I don't believe in that myth. I do believe that, that if you desire marriage, that God desires that for you, that there is somebody out there. Um, but I, I, will, I will combat the myth, though, that you have to be married in order to be complete and, and good. That's a lie. I know some single people that are absolutely amazing and killing it and doing incredible things for God and are totally legit and fine being single. Um, and so you don't have to be married to, to be, to, for God to use you or for you to be good. Let me just go ahead and put that out there. Um, you can be totally single and love Jesus and be in a great, great place. Um, and I think there can be a tendency in churches that they magnify married people over single people. And that's not the case at all. Actually, single people, you have such an incredible advantage over married people. Like, you're not married. You, if, if you don't have kids or if you don't have any of those, like, you can do way more stuff than people who are married that, that, don't, that don't have those abilities um, to do that. Because actually in the Bible, Paul talks about, I wish you could all be like me, and he was single. And he's saying because he can serve the Lord wholeheartedly, not, not wholeheartedly because we all can do that, but without more reserve because you don't have the responsibilities of a marriage and children. And so as single, like the thing you'll struggle with um, is being lonely. That's the hardship you'll have. And in a marriage, you have other hardships of fighting selfishness and all these things. So each, each have its own struggles. But as you're single, like um, don't wish, don't be waiting and wishing for the next season, like love God in the season you're in because you can do so much more for him and with him and other people than you could of serving, than you could do married. Yeah, and I don't want to minimize that that season's not hard. There are struggles in that season, but there's struggles in marriage too. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, every season has a struggle. And I think that that's the temptation. Like, oh, when I get married, I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. I'll be whole. And that's just a lie that the enemy like puts before you. Because if you're not those things in Christ, you're not going to be those things in a marriage either. Come on. And that's so good. Um, you that's have good. to be found in him, whether whatever state your marital status is or not. So if you want to take some notes, I want to show you this. Because there's the world's way of doing this and there's God's way of doing this. The world's way is this. The world's way on, on finding a spouse is one, find the right person, two, fall in love with that person, three, fix all of your hopes on that person. As Lindsay was just saying, you think that this man's going to fulfill me, this man's going to make me happy, I'll never be lonely. You fix everything on them, and then what happens is is you find out that they can't fulfill that, and you go to step four, which is if failure occurs, you just repeat steps one, two, and three. And there's people that are in this continually repetitive cycle of, I'm going to find the right one, and then I'm going to, I'm going to fall in love with him, and then, then he's going to be the answer. And then you find out, like, he's not as good as you think he is. And then you repeat it. One, two, three. And you repeat it. One, two, three. And you repeat it. One, two, three. That's the world's way. You want, you want to see the healthy way? So here's God's way. God's way is this. You become the right one. You don't find it. You become it. What you want in somebody else, you become that yourself. You become that person. Then you walk in love. Hey, how, how many of you know love's not just a feeling? It is a choice. You've got to choose it. You've got to wake up every day. You've got to make that choice to love. So you're going to walk in that love. And then you're going to fix all your hopes on God, realizing that you married a sinner and they can't complete you. I don't care what Jerry Maguire tells you. They cannot complete you. They can destroy you. They won't complete you, though. And if, but if you've got all your hope fixed on God, then you can allow them to be a failure in certain areas and still work through the marriage because you're committed to being the right one, walking in love, putting your hope in God. If failure does occur, though, you just go back to repeating one, two, and three in that. Man, I need to, what's, what is it that I need to fix through? What are the things that I need to be walking in love? What are the things that I need to put my, put my hope in God? So those are some steps there that will really help you. Here's the next question. Um, I'm, <laughs> I thought this was funny. I'm going to need you to have all of the single godly men stand at some point during the service. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. Um, this woman is waiting for a man to pursue her. All right? So guys, get out. Get, get on the pursuit. Go hunting. All right. Um, here's the next one. Do you think that marriage, this is a little more serious, is able to be saved after an affair? Um, quick, quick answer. Yes, absolutely. We have a number of them in our church that are reconciling, working. That's just God's doing incredible things there. Can that be saved? Absolutely. I think it, absolutely. Absolutely. God can restore. I mean, this is God's, this is, this is what God does best in the worst moments of our lives. He restores and reconciles and repairs areas. I feel like I'm pointing at you every time yeah. I do that. And so, uh, is it getting on your nerves yet? <laughs> um, so what do you, you have anything to say? Uh, I just think it's an easy answer. Absolutely. God can do that. Um, I think the follow up to it is, is definitely hard cause it's walking through <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the things. And I would say like the biggest thing would be, it can only move forward if there's uh, openness and honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're not open, willing to be open, those hurts and wounds are still going to stay there. And so like absolutely getting help and getting counseling and walking, not walking through it alone. And, um, the number reason, the number one reason that marriages fail 
um, is because, sorry, is not abuse or adultery. Like those are pro byproducts of actually neglect. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, the biggest thing is communication has failed, pursuing them has failed, just like living separate has failed. So you have to be both willing to come back to that and um, tend the garden that you have and not always looking at someone else's of what they have. Yeah, so the analogy in that, if, if there's, a, there's a book by Paul Tripp that he wrote called What Did You Expect, which I would encourage you to, to read it if you're married. It's called What Did You Expect? And he, he gives the analogy of our marriages are like gardens. And everybody desires to have, you know, great fruit or flowers come from an incredible garden. But every great garden requires incredible amount of work. There's watering daily. And there's weeds that are pulled all the time. And most marriages is, is, a, is a reflection of just neglect. Y'all ever pass by a house where they just don't cut the grass, don't do anything? You're like, oh my God, wow. You can tell, you see it. It's all, it's, it's, you know, it's right there in front of you. And you can tell when a marriage has been neglected as well. It looks the exact same. Overgrown. Weeds are choking out the marriage. It's choking out all of the love for, for, uh, for that person. Um, no attention. No, all of those things are happening. And, and if I can speak frankly, men tend to be the ones that neglect more than women. Mostly. Not always, but mostly. Why? Because we work. And we think that when we come home, my job is just to be a provider. I'm here just to pay the bills for you. And the wife's going, <laughs> no. No, we got into this thing. You dated me. You wooed me. You drew me. And then all of a sudden, now you want to neglect me? And so uh, uh, if, if you were to back up and do like a little CSI analysis of an affair... If you were to back up, you probably would see that there was neglect that happened way before that. That's what led to those things. So I think, I, think, I mean, you spoke right on about the openness, honesty, get counseling, cut all ties, forgive, 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 forgive. But I'll, I'll say this, trust and forgiveness are not the same. So just because you forgive doesn't mean the full trust is there yet. That takes time. That, how do you restore trust? Um, staying open, getting accountable, um, living, um, living in a passionate pursuit of Jesus, in a passionate pursuit of fixing the marriage. I mean, all these things start rebuilding trust. Uh, trust, by the way, is the bedrock of every great relationship, right? As soon as trust is gone, the relationship will, will crumble at some point. If the trust is gone, the relationship crumbles. So trust has to be something that, that is a bedrock for all that. But can God save a marriage? Absolutely. Absolutely. Both of them have to do the work, though. And, and, and the, the one that was offended has to continually work to forgive and trust. And the one that who did the offending has to continually be open and be okay when that person is asking you questions. And don't get defensive about it. Like, <laughs> be open about it. It's, it's okay. No more hiding. And I think right. the temptation on both sides of the one that was hurt against that the, the wrong was done too of the lies of like mistrust of coming in. Maybe they really aren't doing anything, but because you've been hurt or hurt a few times, you're assuming they're doing something when they're not. So being careful of how you like address them when you see red flags. And then the other person who did the offending of like could be 
why are you on my back? You know, like of always feeling like you're being watched or being, you know, like under the microscope, but knowing like, okay, I got to be open here and to let them in, in those places. So you can start fixing it. You can't just like put, if this is something that you don't put a bandaid on. Like you got to get down to the wounds and fix those things because you got to put in the work or it's not going to be saved and it's going to happen again and it's going to keep going. So get down to the deep, the roots. If we're talking about a garden, get down to those roots, address them and be yeah. open and willing to work together to good, have babe. them go. Good. All right, which actually moves into the next question, which is, which is a big one for marriage. And if communication is lacking in my marriage, how do I get my spouse to talk? This is huge. Um, and there's a, a couple of things that I think we can speak to on the three things that, that matter the most when it comes to healthy communication. You want to mm-hmm. share a couple of those? Yes, because I think if anything I would drive today would be communication. Mar- communication is biggest in marriage. And you don't just communicate however you want. There are ways that we need to do it correctly. And the first one is words matter. Um, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it eat of its fruits. So what we say matters. And things in our own marriage that are off limits are divorce. Like I'm never going to threaten him if he makes me angry or whatever. I'm not going to blow up and say like, well, I'm leaving you. I'm getting a divorce. And number one, that brings security to our children because they're not always wondering like, oh, mom and dad, hmm. they're saying that again. They're going to get um, divorced. And that leaves, puts your child secure knowing they don't hear you say that. And I'm not just going to threaten him with that. So it's like for us, it's not an option. It's not we're not going there. And then other things, never and always, because someone doesn't never do anything or always do anything. It could be often, but it's, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, not, it's not always. So just saying Often away, may be in often there, but not always. <laughs> you, you always, and it's like, no, it's true. It's not true. You don't always do this. But so. words, are, words are a huge thing, and, and, and it, it says death and life. And, you know, we focus a lot on the death side, you know, being careful what you speak to your to your spouse or, or to your kids, and, and they really become what we speak in a negative way, but also in the positive way. Like, and I can only say this as a husband, my wife's words are weighty. They're, they're extremely powerful. They have the ability to encourage and build me up or to tear me down. And, and so, uh, and I have the same amount though, when I speak into her, like I can speak beauty into her. I can speak purpose into her. I can speak uh, life into her, or I can speak, uh, you can't do this negativity into them. And so some of that is speaking into that. And so for one that doesn't have a spouse, that's not talking, maybe they're not talking one, because either you're not listening or everything that you're saying is negative. That might be a part of it because these words matter. So speak life over them. Instead of nagging at them, why don't you speak words of life over them and, and help them rise to what you call them? That's why we come around here and we, like, if you hear us greeting other men, we're like, what's up, man of God? We don't, some of, I've had guys come up to me and go, dude, why do you call me that? Like, I don't feel like I'm a man of God. And I'm like, dude, you are a man of God. You might, might not be living as a man of God right now, but that's what God calls you. And that's who you are. We're going to call you that until you live it out. Y'all with me here? We, we call that over our children. We call that over our spouse. What's up, beautiful? What's up, sexy? What's up, on hot mama? Come on, let's, uh, you know. Let's speak life. Speak those things over them. If you're always speaking negatively or critically, just don't be surprised if that's the fruit you're always eating. So words matter. Um, second one is? Tone matters. How you say it is just as important as what you say. Um, a lot of times... Nine times out of ten, what you're saying could be right, but in the way that you say it is wrong, and it's never going to be received well if it's said in the wrong way. And Proverbs 12:18 says, 
Death and life are in the power. Oh, wrong one. Proverbs 12:18 says, "Some people make cutting yeah. remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing." So just be mindful that your words can either bring healing or like the other scripture was talking about death, that um, how I say it could literally bring life to him and help fix our relationship or how I say it can literally turn him away um, from what I'm trying to communicate. Yeah, and tone is a huge one and I'll, I'll be honest, this was the area that I probably struggled in the most, have struggled in the most and continue to struggle in the most is tone. Um, because it, like, we talked about, uh, when we talked about the fighting one in part two, we talked about how we can withdraw or we can escalate. We can do kind of one of the two and we can, we can kind of go at it and you get your, your intense because it's just an intense conversation and you can, you can find yourself to start getting intense. And, and the way that I notice my tone is wrong is because like she starts like backing down or she starts getting like, you feel like you got to one up each other. Someone's got to be louder than the other one. And so tone, as soon as that starts escalating, then we go, whoa, hold on. Okay, what's, wait, let's slow down here. What's, what's going on? And so oftentimes I felt like the things that I was saying was right. And she would say, what you're saying is right. How you're saying it is wrong. And I'd be like, but I'm still right. <laughs> right? And she's like, no, you're wrong. Because here's the deal. You can win the battle and lose the war. So what I said was right, but how I said it just pushed her further away. So I didn't win anything. So tone, tone is a big deal. And then last one is... Timing matters. Uh, one timing. thing in marriage counseling that I remember... Um, the other thing, in, with side note, in marriage counseling that I remember, and the guy was like, what are you going to do when you fight? And I was like, fight? We're never going to fight? How could it, like... And then... You know, yeah. Then we got then, married. Then we got married. <laughs> and then, like, right when we got married, the book Power of Praying Wife was, like, big and out. And I remember reading it, and he was like, you know, before we get started, if you have any bitterness or unforgiveness and, uh, you know, unloving feelings towards your husband, just confess them now. And I'm like, who are these people that, you know, are bitter at their husband? Like, who are these people? I'm not me. We were, then we, life kept going. And so, I, you know, I totally understand what she was talking about. But um, one and thing. And now she's reading it again, and she's like, oh, totally. I totally. <laughs> Um, but one thing that I remember, uh, besides those my naive thoughts, were um, maturity is waiting until the right time to say something. Mm -hmm. So, like, if he's uh, walking in the door from work, it's not like, guess what, blah, blah, you know, like, it's not going to go over well. He's is just, you know, focusing from transitioning and all those things. So just, um, it might take a little while to catch yourself. Um, we didn't do that immediately. Obviously, we weren't mature, but getting to knowing that timing matters. Yeah, and there, there's um, a thing called halt. Um, like anytime there's temptation or decisions that need to be made, you never make them during the halt period. That's when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I had an S to it, halts. Um, or you could do schult. I don't know, whichever one you want to put it. Um, but when you're sick, and so hungry, angry, um, hangry. or hangry, you can add those two, um, or lonely, tired, sick. Any, anytime your spouse your, or those that are in relationship with you are in those seasons, it's probably not a good time to bring up really deep stuff that you need to really walk through um, because they're just not going to be in a, in a mood to want to talk about those kind of things. And, and some of you are like, well, that's like all the time. So 
Um, you need to find the right timing. Here's what we've done that's really helped. Uh, one of two things. I'll say the other thing when it comes to communication is men are reporters. Women are rapport. They want rapport. We want reports. Um, so like she asked me, babe, how was your day? I was like, it was good. And I asked her, hey, how was your day? She was like, okay, so at 7.30, I got up. I was tired. All right. And then, and then Judah woke me up and then he came over and I'm like, oh, okay. When do we get to like 7.30 when we're right now? I mean, uh, it's like a, it's a, a full on report because she's sharing me like how she felt in it and all that stuff. And I'm just like, it was, it was, it was good stuff. It was a good day or it was a bad day or, and so I'm having to learn to connect with the feeling side of things. She's having to learn to connect with shortening her conversations to be a little bit more report-like. Um, and we're, we're both working through that because I am a stewer. She's a spewer. So she's thinking about it. She's saying it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and when I'm not saying anything, she thinks that I'm not thinking about it, but I'm actually thinking about it. I'm just not saying anything about it. But her way of and so it's, it, some of it's personality, some of it's gender. Y'all with me here? I want to help you here. Okay, some of this is gender stuff. The guy's, you know, he's, he's one-track mind. He's just thinking through something. Like that. Or while he's talking, he's thinking about how he's going to fix this situation. And then he tells you what you should do. And you're like, I just wanted you to listen. I didn't need to be fixed. <laughs> so even with that, we've even had those conversations. I tell her, before you start talking to me, tell me, do I need to listen or fix? Because it'll let me know which one I need to switch into. If it's listen... I'll shut my mouth. If it's fixed, I'm going to start processing through what I need to do to fix this situation. Yo, I'm telling you why. I'm trying yes. to help you out here. This and helps. Then on that end, it's hard to be, because as a woman, you want to be like, but you should know what, um, before I even say it, you should know which one I'm needing you to be, but they don't. And so it's not wrong <laughs> to say, like, you just, you should know, you know, how should they know? But you think they should, and then you get upset that they don't, but just to be open to say, like, like before, hey, just listen, I'm just trying to process through this. Or, hey, can you help me figure those? Asking those two questions, I think, would help a lot. Yes. Does that help? I hope it helps. One of the things we've done in our, in our house, and this is even with our boys, is to help bring communication and conversation in our home, is at the dinner table, we, we do, most of our dinners are at our dinner table. No phones, no nothing disconnecting. We're just talking. And so we do what's called highs and lows. Um, so we go around the room and everybody shares what their high was and everybody shares what their low was. Everybody. Kids, we do. Um, everybody does it. And so it gets us getting the connection of learning how to share what the good things were, but also what the bad things were. And I mean, husbands, if you went home and just told your wife one thing that happened that day and how you felt about it, just that alone will start breaking the ice of some things because they want to hear that. And so we started doing highs, highs and lows. I think it's been, been really good. And it's been good for our boys because yeah, they come home from school and I'm trying, good, what's going on? Good. Yeah, because my boys are like, it was good. What? Come on, tell me what else. What else happened? So um, all right, so here's the next question. Um, how do I fight for the man I love when he doesn't fight for our marriage? You want to take that one? Yes, I, uh, sure. Um, I think it's about, as a wife, being respectful, even when you're not getting that love or respect b back and giving them what they don't deserve. Um, because in First Peter, we'll go to First Peter 3, 1 through 2. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word... 
They may be won over without words. That's a big part. They may be won over <laughs> without words by their behavior, their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So number one, again, communication. If you've lovingly, respectfully, you know, like gone to them with things in your own heart. Because you don't want to not share what's really in your heart and then get bitter at them because they don't know. So number one, be open and honest. And if they're still not, you're loving them, they're not loving you. Um, it's hard, but you have to go to, obviously, number one, but prayer, praying for them that God could do something you can't do in them. And then two, um, your behavior. How is your behavior? Are you being respectful towards them without words? Because we want to go straight to nagging, straight to yelling, straight to fussing. And um, God can speak louder to our husband's heart, our husband's heart than nagging or yelling or walking away ever would. Because think about it, when you've done those things and you've gone over the top of yelling or nagging, whatever, has that ever worked in the long run for you? It hasn't. It hasn't produced the good results. And so as hard as it is to bite your tongue, especially when you're not being loved back, it'll win them over as, because what he says, we can trust that his word is true. And, um, but also the husband does have to be willing to love and work on a marriage. Again, it's not a one way street, but, um, this is really good. It's from the Love and Respect book, and um, it says, Negative actions rarely produce positive results. If you are seeking a positive change in your marriage, you, you will need to make a positive change in your attitude and actions. And then to follow up, my response is my responsibility. Because, like, you hear your kids say that, like, well, I hit him because he was being mean to me. You know, like, but we do the same thing. Like, I respond this because you're not responding the way with me and um, we have to just watch our own responsibility our own responses because your husband doesn't this is maybe stepping on some toes here but your husband doesn't cause you to be disrespectful he reveals that you're disrespectful and so because we won't act a way that we're not really we really are in our heart and so like you'll win him over the bible says by your uh, you know um, your love and yeah. your quietness amen I'm not adding to that. That's a good one. That's good stuff. I, I will say this, you know, in seasons where I've been a, a punk in our marriage and haven't been loving, God is speaking to me way louder than her nagging and yelling. I can tell you that. And any yelling or nagging or anything that, that, that happens, it just pushes them away. It doesn't make me want to draw close to, to do it. And so this idea of prayer, it really does work, I'm telling you. It really does work. God's, God's, now I, I can't give a time frame on how, how fast it is. We want it to be a lot faster, but God is always working when we're praying. And uh, yeah. less posting and more praying. Mm. Let's put it that way. Um, that we need to be, be mindful of that, which w one of those things on, on how we fight for our marriage is we never say anything negative to each other that are, ne we, we, we're not speaking negatively of each other. We're not speaking negatively of our spouse to anybody else. Like I don't go to friends and rag out about her. I don't post on Facebook about how I don't like her. I don't, I don't, um, I don't go to anybody else unless it's somebody that I know that can help us yes. restore this. Yes. Then I go to counseling or I, Pastor Bubba or I invite other people. The only time I'm inviting other people, I'm talking to other people about my wife is that we're trying to work through it together and they can help that happen. Outside of that, like, don't go to family. 
I'm trying to help you out here. Don't go to family. If you go to, and notice you only go to your family. You don't go to her family. You go to your family because you want them to side with your, you want sides. You want people to take sides. So I'm not going to let, I'm not going to speak negatively about her to other people. I'm not going to speak negatively to her. And then I'm not going to let other people speak negatively of her. And those are just commitments you got to make in a relate. Y'all with me here? And if you've blown it in this area, just repent, say, I'm sorry, and just don't do it again. I mean, that's, that's how we go about doing this. But if, if your husband feels like you're not only talking negatively to him, but you're always talking negatively about him to other people, why would he open up to you? Because it's not, we didn't create a safe place for that. Y'all with me? Yes. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next question here. Um, <clears throat> we tend to argue a lot, but we end up making up after 20 minutes of being angry. Uh, we'll talk the situation through and most of the time pray together. Sometimes the conversation is brought to an unresolved close, though. Should we seek help or are we on the right track? Um, well, one, I think you're on the right track. I mean, if you're praying together, it seems like you're resolving some things. You're making up after 20 minutes. I mean, that's pretty good. I, I always heard the maturity is the, is the time frame between the offense and the resolution. That's how mature you are. So if you offend somebody and it takes you a week to resolve it, that's how mature you are. If you offend somebody and it takes 10 minutes to resolve it, that shows your maturity. So the, the space in between the resolving conflict and the resolve shows a lot about where the maturity level is. If you say it and then you go, I'm sorry, I, I should, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. It shows yet again where the maturity level of your relationship is, of where you are. Um, so this is, a, this is a big deal. It looks like these people are on the right track. I think the question is, should they seek help or not. Um, this is my counsel on, on this thing. Counsel, the Bible talks about how we need, to, we need to have wise counselors in our lives. We need to have wise counsel. Uh, I'm going to tell you something about counseling. People have a very aversion to counseling. They think like only really sick, bad people go to counseling. No, honestly, very wise people go to counseling because counseling is simply me going to somebody else to have them help me where something I can't help myself. It's inviting people in to help. Um, if I don't do that and I'm waiting for people to come to me to help me, that's called an opinion. That's not counsel. Y'all with me here? That's people giving their opinion, which by the way, if I came up to you just out of the blue and said, Hey, you really need to work on this in your marriage. You probably wouldn't receive it. You know why? You didn't ask for it. People don't receive advice that they don't ask for. And so, uh, my question is, do you, should we get help? Yes. Why would you not? All of us need counseling. Like all of us need counselors. And any man in here thinks that you don't, you're a fool. Um, everybody needs counsel. Everybody needs help. Like we sit down with Pastor Bob, Miss Tracy, and other people and say, hey, this is an area that we're struggling through. Speak to this. What do you think? Are we on the right track? Are we not? We're always, come on, how many want to get better? Anybody in here want to get better? Anybody want your marriage to get better? And listen, this isn't just for marriage. This is in all areas of your life. If you want any area of your life to grow and get better, you, you invite other people. Look, that's what a coach is, right? A coach is to help you take you to the next level. Who doesn't want a coach? Maybe we need to change it from a counselor to a coach. Let's just change the word. You think counseling is for weak people. You need a coach. We all need marriage coaches. Marriage people, that, uh, people in our lives that can coach us up and train us up. So should we get help? Only if you want to grow. If you don't want to grow, then stay on the right track. But I think if you really want to grow and get better, I would get, I would, I would get some, 
get some help and invite people in, which, it, which is, by the way, why we, I think we really push uh, life groups, getting in life groups, getting around other people that can speak into our, our, our marriages, speak into our lives, being a part of men's groups, women's groups, next step, just getting involved in the church. Um, because the more you get involved, then the more people can add value to you. Come on, how many want some added value in your relationships? Um, and so this is an area where I feel like we think that counseling is for weak people. And it's not. Counseling is actually for extremely strong people because it helps them get stronger. So ask for help. And I've been, so it's been great this series because we've had a lot of people have asked us for help. And, and a lot of people right now are getting a lot of great help and it's been really good. And if you're one of the ones that's not asking for help, it's because you have pride. Okay, I know everybody just lifted up all their feet right now. <laughs> but we all need, listen, I was there. I so long wouldn't ask for people for help because I didn't want, nobody needs to be in my business. But my business is destroying my marriage. And I need to get people in it so, I can, so they can get me some help. Amen? Amen. Amen. First Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is a, is a description on love. It tells us that love is patient and it's kind. Love is jealous and not boastful or proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Um, it also says that it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices wherever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never, f- uh, love, it never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I'm going to say this right now. I think when it comes to love, we've watched way too many Disney movies. <laughs> and way too many Hope Float movies and way too many Hallmark movies. Because we think that love is all sunshine and rainbows. We think that love, I'm going to get into this loving relationship. He's going to be the man of my dream. going to have a six-pack. going to love me. going to whisk me across the floor. He's going to be serving me. Got cherries in the top all, all for me all the time. And he's just going to be the man of my dreams. And then you get into marriage, you're like, what the heck? This ain't no Prince Charming. This is Prince Chumpy. Um, what is going on here? And we think that love is this straight up just infatuation. But if you notice in this verse, love is nothing. There's nothing in here that is feeling or emotive. It's actions. And the greatest time to love somebody is when they are at the messiest, right? You don't need all this stuff until there's a mess. I mean, think about it. I just wrote a couple of those things down. Unless someone offends you, you don't need love as patient. Unless someone annoys you, you don't need love as not irritable. Unless, love, unless someone wrongs you, you don't need to keep record of wrongs. Unless someone disappoints you, you don't need to have faith. Unless someone hurts you, you don't need to endure all things. These, this is telling us that these things are going to happen, and if you want to really truly love somebody, you're going to need these. This is what true love is. And the love of God calls you to show your spouse, and, and, and it assumes that your spouse is going to hurt you, wrong you, annoy you, Get on your last nerve. This is what 1 Corinthians 13. We put this on postcards and for Valentine's and be like, oh, love it, love it. Like you need this when it's at your worst. Come on, right? This is when you need love. It doesn't keep records of wrong. Really? How's that going for you? No records. Meaning you can't bring up the past. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not as warm and fuzzy anymore, is it? Love never loses hope, never loses faith. It's always hopeful. Are you always hopeful? Even when it's through every circumstance? Listen, you and I really show love. We understand love 
when our spouse is at their worst. Because isn't that what Jesus did for us? When we were at our worst, he never gave up. He never lost hope. He was always hopeful. He endured all the way to the cross. Come on, Christ-like love is giving love to someone when they least deserve it. I know I'd get a lot of amens on that one. I know. Let me show you this next one. Next question. How do you split household chores? And how do you get the other one to see that you need help? Uh, you don't. I know I'm joking. I don't know. Um, what's your thoughts? Um, I realized about the first one we didn't practically answer how we split it. But I think it can kind of get everybody's lives are a little different. So to give like I do this, he do, does that. Like we have a different life than maybe you do. So answer specifics might be a little, you know, like tough. But in our house, Josh does help um, with things. So we do share some things. I try to do as much as I can. But um, how do you get the other one to see that you need help? I guess the number one thing was, again, going back to the big C word, have you communicated that to the sp- your spouse that you, you do need help? And I mean, what if after you have in a loving, caring way, if they still haven't, um, you kind of can't can't make anybody, can't make do, anybody anything. do anything. And so I would just say um, to the wife, like, make sure you don't get into nagging, like, I need help, you know, just that tone and that, that forced way to do it. Or the other thing of like, you are doing the dishes and you're like, you know, and like making sure that you didn't say anything to them, but boy, There's you're going to let them know. From the yeah, and they can, everybody can see it or like the cold shoulder, you know, that you just like, you're going to ignore them now because you're going to cut them off because they didn't help you. So those, obviously those things won't produce like, oh yeah, let me like lovingly help her now. You know, like it's, it's going to get him angry. It's going to be a bad cycle. And so, um, just definitely know, though, um, if you are married, it's a call to, to work and to love and to serve. And so, especially our culture, it's all about giving, I mean, getting instead of giving. Um, it's all about serving one another in love. And what greater place in marriage is that yeah, worked I, and out? I, and I mean, you brought up a great point because I think the, that the heart of this is understanding that marriage is all about serving. It's about serving one another. Um, it's not about getting. It's about it's about constantly giving. So undoubtedly, this seems to be maybe maybe um, a relationship where a wife is giving or serving and the husband's sitting. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm assuming in this because she wants to or a wife is sitting and husband's serving. It seems like a spouse is not doing what the other spouse thinks they should be doing. Um, so a part of it is understanding. Yet again, back to Disney. Like we like the desire of marriage and the desire of relationships. We don't like the duty side of relationships, right? Well, if it was Disney, we'd have like seven dwarves cleaning our house for us. So it's definitely not. (laughs) That's true. Um, We only got three dwarves in our house. Um, (laughs) And they don't like to do a lot of cleaning. No, they don't. Um, So there's a duty side of marriage where everybody's got to pitch in and do their duty and do the work that they they have to do. and, and, and realizing like you're going into this to serve and to serve others and, and you have to have a, a, a willingness to do, to help. Um, I, a part of that just I mean practically in our home is if I come home and I see Lindsay is just straight up sheer exhausted, then, then I try to offer like, hey, what can, and I'll just say this, what can I do to help? Just that simple question right there, what can I do to help? Now, I realize not every man comes home and does that. Um, But yet again, for all the single people, make sure he loves Jesus. If he loves Jesus, Jesus will tell him he needs to help. You won't have to. 
I really, we, he will. And then she's communicated to me a number of times. And we have these open dialogues. Hey, I'm going to really need some extra help tonight. I got to do this. Or, hey, I, would you mind giving Joel a bath tonight so he can help me to do this? Or would you mind doing the dishes tonight? No, not a, not, as pro, not, not a problem. And we try to get all of our boys. One of the things that we do in our home as well is we have like, after dinner, when, when the house is kind of a wreck, we all right, next 30 minutes, everybody's doing something. Like everybody. Dad's doing it. Mom's doing it. Dad's doing dishes. Hey, boys, you guys clean your rooms, clean it. Like, it's just a 30 minutes of everybody's doing some chores. And we're doing it as a family. It's not, it's not just they're doing their thing. They're doing, like, everybody's doing, so everybody's putting in some help. Um, but aside from that, you can't make anybody do anything. And, and hopefully that just comes back to some good, healthy communication. Do you think? Yes. Yep. It's called a duty call, all right? Um, number, the next one is, do you find it more difficult, <laughs> now we're getting into some stuff, do you find it more difficult to be sexually intimate as the kids have gotten older, finding the time, not being exhausted, not having kids banging on the door, etc. cetera? Uh, babe? <laughs> yeah, all right. Personally, we find it easier because when they were little, we found it harder. So I know everybody's in different. Yeah, but it, I guess it seems like they're, they, these people are wanting to see if it gets easier as the kids get older because um, they got kids banging on the door. Um, one, put the kids to bed. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll say this. Um, life gets busy. I mean, that, nothing new about that. I mean, life is extremely busy. Um, you're going to have to make time for each other. And, and I'll say this. if You know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll dive into this. Not all sex is created equal, okay? So there's, um, <laughs> there's, there's a snack, <laughs> and then there's a feast. <laughs> so, are y'all getting where I'm going here? Okay, so there's an expectation that all the time you need a feast when the man just could be good with a snack. Y'all, y'all with me here? Okay, all right. Somebody, somebody help me out here. Um, like, you know, it, part of it is, <laughs> part of it is, is healthy communication, talking about how often it needs to happen for both partners. Remember, yet again, remember, we're servants though. Remember, we're serving one another, serving one another. And you got to serve in the area of sex as well. Um, but Talking, talking about expectations of how often you desire it, um, and then not, and just realizing not all sex is created equal. Sometimes it's it's um, it's faster. It's a fast snack, and other times, other times it's a Friday night romantic. Kids away, light the candle. You know, it's it's y'all with me? Okay, I mean, so. And if you're always expectation is light the candle, everything's all this, then you'll miss out on the on the the snack and. <laughs> Yeah. So being creative about that, being being intentional about be intentional about it. Um, I mean, I'll say that because life is busy. It's not like it's you know different people. It might be easier when they're younger, not as easy when their kids are older. Whatever it is, it's always going to be busy. So it's like what it was before. I feel like I just want to look up. Uh, not anybody. No. Uh, what it was before, maybe before you had kids, is not going to necessarily be exactly like it is now. And it feels unromantic or, you know, whatever, ruining the mood to talk about. Like, hey, you know, to, it's 
specifics or times or uh, often or even for that night, whatever, and it feels like you're breaking the mood, but it's better to just be like knowing what their expectations are instead of not meeting them at all. So even though it's awkward or eh, to talk about it, it's best too. So like in First Corinthians, bring some scripture in here. First Corinthians <laughs> 7, 3 and 5. Says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her need, her husband's needs. Do not deprive each other of sexual sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. So you may give yourselves more completely to prayer. And in all honesty, I've never heard a friend or anyone come up to be like, "Me and my husband are abstaining right now because we're praying." So. Maybe we should be doing it that more. I don't know, but no one really takes this into context. It's just because I'm tired, life, you know, I'm busy. So it's like he has needs. We both have needs, and just because it's a, we need to be meeting. Yeah, and 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 let me just say this to all the men: don't try to touch your body if you haven't touched your heart. So get get let's. Just, we'll just let that sit. All and right, in all so. honesty, like you might need to like turn off the TV. You know, like if you if you want to, this needs to be a priority. Other things are going to have to fall to the side because in a night of school, homework, dinner, dishes, like there's just only so much to do. Yeah. So. Amen. All right. Moving right along. Move, last one. We got we got to wrap this up. Um, here's here's the last one. My my husband and I completely revolved uh, our lives around our kids while they were in our home. And now that they're out of the house, we feel like roommates. How do we rekindle the romance in our marriage? Um, so there's three, three things here um, that you need, to, you need to know. There's three types of relationships that you have. There is back-to-back, shoulder-to-shoulder, face-to-face. Back-to-back is roommates. I've, I've taught on this a couple of times before. Um, this is the roommates. These are the people who live, who live in the same house, maybe even sleep in the same bed, but live two separate lives. I have my job, I have my career, I have my stuff, you have yours, you, have, you do your thing, I got my friends, you got your friends, I go do my stuff, you do your stuff, and we pretty much share a house together. And it sounds a lot like in this regards with this couple, they, the kids were at the center of their home, and so they probably sporting events, and we did this with them, and we did that with them, and, and then the kids are gone, you're like, who are you? I mean, literally, I've, I've heard of a lot of people having that, doing that. Um, shoulder to shoulder is coworkers. So back-to-back is roommates, shoulder-to-shoulder is coworkers. So you and your spouse are working together. You're doing kids together. You're doing house stuff together. You're doing projects together. Uh, you're, you're together. You're not as separated as much, but you're just doing a lot of things together. Um, and that's not a bad thing. That, there's times for, for, for that as well. But you don't get the last one, which is face-to-face. You could be doing a lot of stuff together. You could be in the same room together, but they're on their phone, you're on your phone, and you're not, nobody's speaking to anybody. And so we need to have more face-to-face, which, by the way, if you think back when you were dating, there was all face-to-face and barely any shoulder-to-shoulder back-to-back. And when you get married, what does it go? It goes from face-to-face a lot to barely any face-to-face to to shoulder-to-shoulder because now we got jobs and kids and activity. Y'all with me? This is the progression of what it has. So we have to fight, 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 fight for face-to-face time. And we've got to remember that I I am a spouse. I am a husband before I'm a parent. I, I am, I, I have to, I have to, this one's not popular, I, so I'm just prefacing it, but I love you. Your kids shouldn't be in your bed. They shouldn't be in your bed. That's your bed for you and your spouse, for y'all to be 
together. And I understand there's seasons, husband may works offshore, kids jump in bed and things like that, or kids are sick, or just different stuff that happens. There's seasons where it's, it's totally understandable. But for the most part, that is your sanctuary for you and your wife to have a lot more face-to-face time, to have those pillow talk conversations. How was your day? What's going on? And to have that. And, and we lose all that when we bring pets or kids in our bed. Um, and we need to be mindful of that. Um, don't email me. Um, <laughs> and I believe if you want to get this, whoever this couple is, if you want to get your romance back, you got to do what you once did and you'll have what you once had. So go back to what you were doing back in the beginning. How did you woo her? How did you draw her? How, what was it that made y'all's, y'all's marriage or y'all's dating or marriage just spark? Go back to that. Have fun together. Go do stuff together. I am totally for the, the, the idea that a babysitter is way less expensive than an attorney. Y'all with me here? Like, take her out. Go out. Some of you wives, I'm just setting you up right now. Husbands, take your wife out. Go do something together. It's, it, and, but again, it comes back to neglect. It comes back to not communicating. It comes back to a lot of those things. All right, we've got to wrap all this up. I know we're having a lot of fun here. But um, I want to wrap all this whole series up and kind of put a bow tie on it with commitment. I want us to talk about commitment. And I want us to, to talk about the commitment that God's made to us. And I just wrote this down. It's in your notes. But commitment means staying loyal to what you said you're going to do long after the mood you set it in has left you. That's what commitment is. Commitment is going, we're, going, we're going to stick there. That's why we said we never say the word divorce. We never say these things because I'm committed. I'm in, I'm in this thing. Even when the mood's not there, even when things aren't working out like they're supposed to, even when there's tension and conflict, we're going to stay in this thing. We're going to work through this thing. And God's made commitments and covenants with you. And so if God made covenants with you, he made those with you so that you could make those with other people. So I want to show you these four. We're going to, we're going to close all this out. Four commitments God's made towards you. First one, that I commit to prioritize you. God is committed to prioritize you. First John 3 says, this is how we know what love is. You want to know what love is? It's not what the Hallmark shows. It's not what Hollywood shows you. Jesus showed us what love looks like. He laid down his life. He didn't mind doing dishes. He, he laid down his life for his bride. We are his bride, by the way, and we ought to Now we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, our sisters, our kids, our wives, our husbands, other people. We lay our lives down. Why? Everybody say this with me. Say, Jesus did, so I can. Jesus did it. He, He modeled it so that we can do it. All these things that we're going to talk about, all these commitments that he prioritized you, you're a priority to God. How many of you glad you come in here and, and you can have a connection with God? I mean, you can have a connect because he prioritizes, he values you. Second thing is he commits to pursue you. He's pursuing you. He's coming after you. Re- Revelations 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. Come on, he's always standing at the door. He's always knocking. He's always knocking. If you just hear my voice, open the door. I'm always knocking. Come on, how many of you remember dating? You were in hot pursuit. Hot pursuit. If you want to have a thriving, healthy, strong, awesome marriage, some of, man, we got to get into hot pursuit. Get into hot pursuit of our wives, of our spouses. Third one, I commit to protect you. God is committed, according to Psalms 121, to protect us. It says the Lord will protect you from all dangers. He will guard your life. 
He will guard it. He will protect it. Yet again, like I said earlier, I'm not going to speak negatively of her. I'm not going to let other people speak negatively of her. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to protect our marriage. I'm going to protect it from people that are going to try to negatively influence our marriage. And it's not just physical protection. I'm not just going to try to protect her physically. I need to protect her heart. I need to protect her mind. I need to protect her thoughts. I need to make sure that any lies that she's believing, I'm speaking truth into those lies. Come on, how many know when you're speaking into those, sometimes it doesn't feel like protection, but it's the greatest thing you can do. This is what God does. He protects us. He guards us. And then last one is I commit to purify you. God commits to purify us. Listen, God knows you're going to blow it. I need everybody to listen to me on this one. God knows you're going to blow it. God knows your marriages are going to fail at times. God knows that. He knows that. He knows it. He knows it. He's almost just expecting it and waiting for it. Good. Okay. You needed me in this moment. This was the moment that you needed me the most. It was right here. When it's messy, when it's dirty, when this is the moment you need me. And God is there and he's there to clean us up, purify us. This is what he does. Scripture says in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as, remember, Jesus did, so I can. Just as Christ, yep, at least I got it here. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up. This is what he did for her to make her holy. Look at this, here it is, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. This is what he does. He cleanses us through the washing of the word.